All right, good afternoon. Welcome to the lunch hour edition of the 573 Report. Uh, it is week two of the Missouri football season. Gabe DeArmond here. Mitchell Forty is going to be along shortly as soon as we tell you about 573Ts.com. You can go there, buy all of your Mizzou gear, your Eli Drinkwitz gear, your power Mizzou gear, anything you want, black and gold to wear to a football game. I know a few people stopped by uh, the location. It's down in Alley A, downtown Columbia. You can do that. You can go online at 573tees.com. If you go through the show page on Power Mizzou, you can even get a 10% discount. I believe that is still good on your first purchase. So as promised, Mitchell Forty is there. I do uh, do need to adjust him a little bit because he looks very large in your screen right now. I forgot to uh, I forgot to do that. There you go. See, we can move him through the magic of uh, live streaming or television, whatever this is. Uh, all right, Mitch. Let's start start here. I think we have our first disconnect between Missouri fans and Eli Drinkwitz because I think Eli Drinkwitz thinks Missouri's about to play a really good football team, and I think it's fair to say. Missouri fans don't really think Kentucky's very good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know, yeah, I don't want to speak for all fans, but uh, one, you know, every college football coach compliments all of his opponents right before they, they play them. I mean, you know, every team is extremely well coached, fundamentally sound, you know, flies around to the ball, plays with great effort, uh, good on special teams, all of that stuff. But I really do think uh, Eli Drinkwitz is, is trying to downplay expectations just a hair going into this game. And that's something we've seen him do before, by the way. I mean, he did it quite a bit last season um, with all that was going on. But, you know, he did just say on the SEC uh, teleconference about 40 minutes ago, uh, quote, we're nowhere near ready to go play a good team on the road. That's actually maybe not an exact quote, but that's how I remember it. And you get the gist. So um, and he was talking just kind of about, uh, you know, improvement from last week but yeah i mean i think that i mean kentucky is a really good football team you know they've they've been solid for quite a while under mark stoops there were people picking them to win nine games this season they looked really good albeit against a bad opponent last weekend there is um reason to believe that that you know missouri is not obviously just going to roll into lexington and win that game hence why they're uh, about i think what five point underdogs now yeah so, last i looked yeah. and and there's two things here first of all if you look at the way the teams have recruited the last four or five seasons, which is what impacts what's on the field this week, Kentucky has more talent. It is not disputable. Um, you, you cannot argue that point. The second thing is Missouri fans are doing exactly what Missouri fans get mad at other fans for doing. Well, it's Kentucky. They can't be good, right? They were pissed off when they lost to Kentucky five straight times, and I understand it. Like, that that is kind of a barometer for Missouri. You should be better than Kentucky in football. That's what you think of your program. Now, Kentucky, to be fair, thinks the same thing. But Missouri fans get very annoyed, and I understand why, when they hear from Georgia or Florida or Auburn or whoever fans, well, it's Missouri. We're going to roll over them. They don't belong in the SEC. It's Missouri, no matter how good Missouri is. Don't do that to Kentucky because it's the same thing you get mad at. I mean, I don't care what it says on the front of the jersey. Kentucky has been a better program than Missouri for the last six years. And Mark Stoops is in year 10. He's recruited pretty well. He's got a stable program. I think it's possible. I'm not going to say it's for sure, but it is possible 
that the one thing Kentucky has been missing, which is the ability to throw a forward pass, they actually have now. I don't, I don't know if they have it, but it's possible they have it. it. Eli Drinkwitz is in year two. He is building this thing. It is not an insult to go to Kentucky as a five-point underdog, but all offseason, I've seen a lot of, well, if we lose the game to Kentucky, then we're just not where this program needs to be. Well, that's just not right. Yeah, no, and, and Eli Drinkwood said basically as much yesterday. You know, he was asked about how important this game is just kind of as a, as a measuring stick between the two programs. You know, it's not a surprise and, and not a secret. I don't think that the winner of the Missouri-Kentucky game over the past few years has, uh, you know, gone on to finish higher in the SEC East standings. And he basically said, look, you know, one, this is only week two, so there's still a lot of games to be played. You can't, you know, get too high or too low based on this game. But more importantly, like, that coach is in year 10. I'm in year two. It's, you know, hard to compare where our two programs are at right now and that's exactly what you just said and i get the you know the the attitude in some stance that you know a lot of people had high expectations coming into this season and those expectations absolutely are not going to be met if missouri doesn't beat kentucky i think what we're trying to say is those expectations might not have been a little as as realistic as you know some people thought prior to last week and and you know eli drinkwitz is kind of saying the same thing Um, i also don't want to coronate kentucky after beating louisiana monroe i feel like we need to go on the record and point out how awful louisiana Monroe is. They went 0 yes. 10 last year against an all group of five schedule. They're extremely bad. I have uh, I have quoted Eli Drinkwitz a number of times, and I can't remember what the question was that he was asked. But he said at some point last year, "I can't manage your expectations." And <laughs> yes. that that's right. Right? Like if you want to believe, if you came into this season believing this was probably a nine and three team, and if things went well, they could go 10 and two and push Georgia in the East. Like, I can't prevent you from thinking that. I can tell you it's wrong. I know it's wrong. But if you want to believe it, you can believe it. It's the it's the optimism of the offseason. And, and that's cool. I get it. Nobody wants to say, hey, don't don't feel good about your team going into the season. And, and I don't think we're saying don't feel good. Like, Missouri could go win this game. It would not be mm-hmm. this shocking turn of events if Missouri wins this game. All we're saying is... They're not going to roll into Lexington, play a C game, toss their helmets on the field, and walk out with a win because Kentucky is better than that. Kentucky and Tennessee have realistically switched places in this division over the last 12 years or so, right? Kentucky's that team that they might not quite be Georgia and Florida, but they're actually Kentucky and Georgia have... Kentucky's where Georgia used to be. Georgia is now where Tennessee used to be, honestly, but... Kentucky's that third team, and Missouri, to be that third team, needs to beat Kentucky, and not just once, but, like, consistently. And and I think part of it is formed by last year's Kentucky game, which was maybe the weirdest football game I've ever seen. Kentucky ran 35 plays, and Missouri was so much better than Kentucky, and yet with seven minutes left, you were still kind of going, mm, they're, like, one snap away from maybe losing this game. Yeah. Yeah. No, you touched on a couple of things I wanted to bring up. One, uh, like we, we shouldn't discount the fact that this is a largely coach speak. I mean, you know, it, it is smart for the head coach in a sense to be like, to, you know, downplay expectations a bit. And then undersell over deliver. Yeah, we weren't right there. Weren't quite there yet. And then if they win, he can say, well, everyone was saying we didn't have a chance. It's like, well, no, you were saying that, but that's fine. Um, and then, but I'm also like, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Missouri goes and wins this game. I'm not going to pick them to, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I think that the talent levels are similar enough. You could easily see it happening. Yeah. But yeah, I do think last year's game is, uh, from what I, from what I understand, you know, seeing 
seeing some tweets and reports out of Kentucky world and listening to Mark Stoops a minute ago. They, they're fired up by last year's game. I think oh, they thought right. they didn't play well, which, you know, they didn't. I mean, they had like, what, 108 total yards or something like that. It was bad. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that that'll be a factor. Uh, I also don't I, I think like usually we make too big a deal out of this type of thing. But I do think the fact that this is, you know, the first time in two years and the first time under Eli Drinkwitz, this team has had to, to travel to a full house play at night, like road SEC environment, I think that could play a role here. No question. And they don't really know, or at least we don't know how they're getting there. Uh, but you mentioned last year, I mean, that picture, Larry Roundtree is not going to be on the field on Saturday, but that picture and that video of Larry Roundtree just absolutely punking a Kentucky defender, and I don't know who it was, that is going to be mentioned this week in Lexington. I've already seen one of Kentucky's assistant coaches retweet it. Uh, this week, I think it might might have been the running backs coach uh, retweeted that picture of Roundtree just like standing over a dude on the Missouri sideline and really the entire Missouri team. And that was one of those things where I remember watching it live and going, well, that clearly should be a taunting penalty. You love it because it's your team, but clearly that should have been a taunting penalty. Um, so, yeah, Ron had the question, is is he is he playing a little rope? I don't probably he is, yes, um, but, you know, also I think he does have a realistic outlook of this team, and the bigger point than how you should feel about this is in no way is the season derailed by a loss at Kentucky. Now, look, if you go get beat 31-6 to and you look awful doing it, I can understand why you'll feel bad going forward, but I've said this a few times this week, the way this schedule is set up, kind of doesn't really favor Missouri because I think the two biggest games of the year are on the road in the first four weeks when you've got a young team that I think theoretically should be a lot better in week eight than it is in week three. But hey, it doesn't, it may not matter how much better you are when you're going to play Georgia. You'd almost rather have Georgia and A&M now just just get it out of the way and then go get Kentucky and BC on the road in like week six and eight. And I think Missouri would be in better position to win those games then. Yeah, I think you're probably right. You know, I will say, I mean, there's a chance that, you know, Kentucky is Kentucky's also somewhat young. I mean, they've got a lot of experience, but they have a new quarterback. They have a new play caller. They have some new uh, players on offense. And like those guys really weren't tested last week. So maybe, you know, that could somewhat work in Missouri's favor. Now, of course, it's better to be in a friendly environment in that type of situation, which they will be at home. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. And yeah, largely, you know, to Ron's question, I don't, I don't think Drinkwitz is trying to, you know, like lull Kentucky into a false sense of security or like actually thinks that Kentucky players or coaches are going to read what he says. I think it's more just managing the fan base's expectation a little bit just to say, look, no matter what happens, this is week two of 12. Like there's a lot that, you know, there's a lot of football to be played. Uh, this does not, this is not a referendum on, you know, our season or where the program is at. So if there's one thing that I, I think, and I don't, I'm, I'm not going to use the word worry because, look, I don't lose sleep over Missouri football games, to be quite honest. That's but, stunning. Stunning to me. Right. Something uh, about this game that if I'm a Missouri fan, it scares me, is the line of scrimmage. Uh, especially Kentucky's offensive line against Missouri's defensive line. Because uh, I think you can you can scheme your way around being maybe a little talent deficient on the offensive line, right? You can do things, go a little more side to side and, and spread spread the splits and all that to cover that up. But if your defensive line is getting shoved around by an offensive line that clearly comes into the game just wanting to run the football, um, we've heard, you know, Kentucky has two, maybe three NFL offensive linemen. 
And Missouri, last week against Central Michigan, and I thought I, I was glad that Steve Wilkes answered my question the way he did last night because I didn't think he would. I, I thought it was the truth, but I didn't think he'd say it. He basically said they played a bunch of man coverage against Central Michigan last week because they couldn't get pressure with their front four, and so they had to blitz to get pressure. If you've got to do that against Central Michigan, first of all, I don't know if you can get to Will Levis in Kentucky this week, but second of all, you can blitz six against Central Michigan because you can cover the guys they have on the outside. I don't know if you can cover SEC receivers one-on-one consistently and give your guys enough time to get there. Yeah, I completely agree that the line of scrimmage is the big question mark for Missouri, and that's problematic playing Kentucky because that is where Kentucky has been at its best for quite some years now. I mean, under Stoops, they've done a really, really good job on both lines. Um, And, yeah, specifically to the defense, you know, I I still do think that ultimately Missouri is going to dare Will Levis to beat them through the air. I think priorities number one, two, and three pretty much are going to be stop the run, you know, because Kentucky not only, you know, does it run the ball well, and it didn't have to run it too many times against Louisiana Monroe. You know, I think they think they spent about the last quarter just kind of running out the clock, but they still, they're starting running back Chris Rodriguez still averaged like six and a half yards per carry. But also they use that to set up a lot of that they do in the passing game. You know, Liam Cohen worked under Sean McVay. That's his whole deal is, you know, we, we make our running plays and passing plays look like we'll run it. And if once we get the run going, you know, we'll, we'll take a shot out of play action. And uh, I still, so I still, still think stopping the run will be the big priority for Missouri, but I don't know if this, you know, defensive front can do that. I mean, like you said, we, they, I mean, they got pushed around for a lot of that game against central Michigan and Kentucky's offensive line is better than central Michigan's. I guarantee you that. Um, so yeah, that is definitely a major area of concern I would say for Mizzou fans. And it's not just the defensive line when you're talking about the run. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Missouri's linebackers were caught out of position over pursuing a decent amount in the first half last week. And Blaze Aldridge put up numbers, but he also put up those numbers very much because they were blitzing a lot. Um, so when you're talking the running game and play action, especially your linebackers are important. Play action is mm-hmm. is based on getting that linebacker or getting that safety to take one wrong step. You know, you fake the ball to Chris Rodriguez. He takes one step forward, and the quarterback knows, okay, I got this guy here. Um, with a linebacking core that struggled, I think, in that in, in that over-pursuit a little bit, I'm sure they were amped up and all that, but they're going to be amped up for this one too, week one on the road. Um, and bigger concern – Blaze Aldridge got a lot of the focus, but here's my thought on Missouri's linebacking core, and I don't think it's, like, revolutionary. I know we talked about it, but – like, without Nick Bolton next to him, Devin Nicholson might just be a guy, you know? And, and he is a he's – a, he's an SEC player. He's just starting all that. But with the superstar gone is the guy who looked, you know, like a, like a B-plus player, now actually more of like a B-minus or a C-plus player because the A player isn't standing next to him. Yeah, I definitely think like the jury's still out, right? You know, the right, week yeah. one, they, there's definitely a chance that a lot of this stuff could get cleaned up. So I don't want to bury anyone. And and Nick Bolton's, or I mean, sorry, Devin Nicholson's going to get plenty of more opportunities to play because Missouri has no yes. one else in that room. Yes. They have no depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that that's something we talked about last season where once Bolton went down, the whole rest of the defense, and you know, he still kept playing, but he wasn't 100%. The whole rest of the defense looked a lot more average, including Devin Nicholson. And, you know, I, I think it kind of became the like trendy 
like, look how much I know about football thing. The numbers don't always tell the right. story thing to like bash on Blades Aldridge after this week. Like, well, yeah, you, you, you're worshiping, worshiping him because he got six tackles for loss, but he was out of position. And he was at times. I thought he over pursued for sure, like you mentioned. And that might just be part of, you know, yeah, no, walking into a new scheme and just, you know, if I'm going to make a mistake, make it full speed type of an attitude. But he obviously did some things right. I mean, yes. he had 10 tackles. He had three and a half sacks. Devin Nicholson did not make nearly as much of an impact on that game. I mean, most of the time when I noticed him and, you know, I'm, I'm watching, you know, everyone in full speed and writing stuff down. But when I noticed Devin Nicholson, it seemed to be for the wrong reasons rather than the right reasons on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I, I think just you could pretty much lump, you know, Missouri's defensive front. We're talking we were talking about that into more of a front six. The front right. six obviously has to play better, uh, particularly against the run than it did against Central Michigan and probably has to rely less on blitzing to get to Will Lavis. Uh, Cam brings up kind of another thing that, that I've seen a lot of Missouri fans mention since Saturday. Uh, they really seem to try to force the ball to Mookie Cooper on Saturday with poor results. Do you expect his touches to look like that all year in terms of screens and sweeps, or can he be a downfield threat? I mean, he can be a downfield threat. He is not a guy you're going to throw a jump ball like Kiki Chisholm or even Dominic Lovett. I'm not sure you, th you send a 5'7 guy on a, a bunch of you know flag routes, to be quite honest with you. Um, he is a little bit more of a guy that, hey, just get the ball in his hands. And Mookie Cooper's success is going to be largely determined by, can he make that first guy miss, right? Because a lot of times those jet sweeps, those tunnel screens, they, they may not be blocked perfectly. It's kind of like a punt returner. We're going to ask you to make one guy miss. And if you do, you may run a long way. So he's going to have to make that one guy miss. But man, I, I don't, you want to talk about unfair expectations. The kid hadn't played a game in three years and, and had a week of practice. I, I don't know. I, I saw people talking about 100 yards and a 1,000-yard season, and that's just not fair to that kid right now. Yeah, absolutely. I actually was surprised he got the ball as much as he did, to be quite honest with you. you know, Yeah, 15 I mean, snaps, granted, he got even... seven touches. Right. We didn't even know for sure if he was going to play because he missed about two, two, three weeks of practice during fall camp. I mean, that's significant. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, the jury obviously is still out. And I think there's reason to still be optimistic. I mean, clearly the coaching staff likes him enough to try to put the ball in his hands. And they say, look, we just want to get you the ball in space. We're going to let you do the rest. And, you know, like you said, he hadn't played a game in about in almost three years. He is coming off of an injury that, you know, maybe he's not 100 percent. I don't know, may have impacted his elusiveness a little bit. And none of that kind of you know uh gadgety like you know misdirection get the ball in space type of stuff worked i mean the little speed option play they tried to run the the screens no matter who they were running them to the jet sweeps i mean missouri wasn't wasn't getting that going for anyone i i mm -hmm. think you know just the, the plays that took longer to develop like that central michigan was, was kind of blowing them up so i don't think it's necessarily you know cause for concern with mookie cooper it's just more so if you were expecting him to come in right away and be this you know game breaker, uh, maybe temper your expectations a little well, bit. And I think also what people aren't thinking about, I promise you the jet sweep to Mookie Cooper is at some point setting up, tossing it to Kiki Chisholm on a reverse and Kiki Chisholm throwing the football this year. Like we're going to see that play. It may not be in week two, but we're going to see that play off of, hey, we've run nine jet sweeps with Mookie Cooper. So as soon as he gets the ball and starts heading that way, you're all going to go that way and we're going to come back this way. And that's that's the kind of thing that the coaches think about that fans just watching a game a lot of times maybe don't think about is, hey, this play in, in week one sets up the play we really want to run in week five against Tennessee. You know, so uh, definitely uh, – uh, 
Cooper's going to – he'll be more productive. He's not going to average 1.7 yards a touch for the entire season. But he's also – it's his first year. I mean, uh, I was talking to somebody earlier today. There's a, I remember way back answering questions like, well, how come they played Sean Weatherspoon just on special teams his first year? Or how come they played Wes Kemp and he only caught four passes as a true freshman? We're wasting a year. No, you're using this year to get him used to being in that game so that from day one as a sophomore, he is a star. And that's not to say he won't be a star at any point this year, but year one is a lot about setting up year two and three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of goes back to the overall point we were making earlier about how, you know, Mizzou and Kentucky are different points of their program. I mean, a lot of the guys that, you know, Eli Drinkwitz has, has brought in are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So, you know, they're they're going to need some time to get to the point where they're carrying the load. Absolutely. No question. Want to want to check in real quick. Uh midpoint of the show maybe a little after the midpoint of the show but remind you guys 573 tees is the presenting sponsor of this show they did it all last year they've been doing it all this year great partner of ours they're actually producing some power mizzou stuff i got to swing by and and kind of check on that later this afternoon um we're giving some of those out for our prizes in prediction contests so if you are any good at handicapping games as mitch and i were last week we predicted perfectly what was going to happen at uh in the central michigan game so you need to hope we're a little less uh adept at it this week which is likely because we had one good week we're not likely to have another one but 573 t's has a good week every week you guys can check them out online 573 tees.com you can go into the actual physical location in downtown columbia it's just it's in the alley between 9th and 10th street uh the best way i can describe it is it's right across from shortwave coffee if you know where that is if you don't just google it uh open up your maps you'll find it um it's it's not super hard and uh say hey to those guys and support a power mizzou partner pick up a shirt everybody needs uh new threads to wear and um speaking of which i mean we're only like 48 hours away from the uniform reveal so that's that's the best part of the week the second best part of the week is discussing what missouri's new walkout song should be apparently um I didn't think we could find something I cared less about than what uniforms they wear, but I, I might actually have found something I care less about than what uniforms they wear. Um, see, I disagree. The, definitely the best part of the week was the great Bratwurst versus Kielbasa well, debate. Yes. Those of you who are on the message board that's know like, what I'm talking about. That's the discussion mm-hmm. that has its own wing in the Hall of Fame. You know, you yeah. can't discuss that with other discussions. Yeah. <laughs> but you have any big, uh, big song preferences, Mitch? Uh, no, no, I really don't do not. I, I, I agree with the point you made earlier, which is that like anytime you try to force something to become a tradition, it's not going to work. Like it's got, you got to have a good team and then it's going to like, I don't know, it'll have like, it'll work one time or the, you'll, you'll, you'll see a good response to it one time at a game where you already had a good crowd there and then maybe it'll catch on. Like that's how these yeah. things happen. Uh, Colby's asking about Travion Ford. If he's still hurt, I- I mean, we saw him walk off the practice field yesterday. He appeared yeah, so, to practice. Yeah. I, I just think he's not going to play this year, whether that's health-wise or I think he's going to redshirt this year. Yeah, we, we, uh, we'll we get an injury report tomorrow. Um, no idea how accurate that'll be. Uh, he was listed as out last week, and he didn't dress. He was he was in full pads walking off the practice field yesterday. So, yeah, we'll see. I don't get the sense he's you know come particularly close to like scratching the two deep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, considering his struggles with the deep ball, will Kentucky stack up against the run and force Basilak to beat him downfield? 
Maybe, but I'm honest. I'm not sure that's the approach I take against Missouri because I'm not convinced Missouri can line up and run the ball down the throat of an SEC team, really. I And I'd rather force them to beat me six yards at a time than give them something like Boo Smith had on the first play of the game. And I didn't think Bazelak was terrible on the deep ball. The, the second one to Boo Smith was over the wrong shoulder. That wasn't a good throw. The ones to love it were decent. I mean, they they were maybe catchable. Yeah, I agree. I actually thought Bazelak played fine. I thought he got more heat than he probably deserved for the Central Michigan game. Yeah, he missed the the second one to Boo Smith, mm-hmm. um, and he admitted that after the game. But, you know, I mean, one of two on those, you know, 50-ish yards passes, that's really not that bad. Uh, he, he had a nice deep, like deep-ish, you know, 20-ish yard pass to uh, Towski Dove on that drive that set up the Mevis field goal at the end of the first half. I thought definitely the Lovett one down the sideline was catchable if Lovett had, had been able to yeah. use two hands. I mean, you know, it wasn't a bad throw by any means. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, maybe your priority is stopping the run against Missouri, but I don't think you, like, sell out to stop no. the run. I don't think you stack the box or anything like that. And probably Kentucky, you know, doesn't feel like it has to. I mean, it's got a good defensive front. So, you know, you would think they could play a fairly, you know, base look. Obviously, I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll throw some wrinkles out there, but I don't think you're going to see them stacking, like, eight guys in the box or anything like that. No, not at all. Uh, Ed wants to know how good's Kentucky. The polls have them barely getting any votes. Polls are worthless at this point in time, right? LSU was number 11. I mean, that's dumb. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, I don't know where they are this week, but they, they have, if, if we're just doing, hey, what happened on the field, Oklahoma should be unranked. I'm sure they're in the top six. You know, yeah. so, so polls are dumb and not a, not a judge of how good they are. I mean, I think Kentucky's, you know, pretty good. Um, like, yeah. uh, it could be a bottom half of the top 25 team by the end of, at the end of the year. That, that a fair expectation, you think? I think that's fair. Yeah. I also think the answer really is we don't know. And that's why I've said a few times, I would not be stunned. I'm not trying to say Mizzou is, you know, walking into some, you know, impossible situation. I would not be stunned if Mizzou goes and wins because I don't know how good Kentucky is. Like, you know, they, they beat up on a really bad team and yes, you did. They did what a good team is supposed to do against that bad team. But you know, I I think this will be a much more representative test. I mean, I view this game as, is if they both play an A game or they both play a C game or whatever, I think Kentucky wins. Cause I think, on a neutral field, just match them up man for man. Kentucky's a little bit better right now. But if Mizzou plays an A game and Kentucky plays a B game, Mizzou can win that game, right? I mean, it's it's not a mismatch. Yeah, no, uh, I would agree. Uh, Aaron is from Albany, Georgia, wants to know about Jamie Petway and kind of where he's fallen short. And, and look, we can't answer exactly why he's not on the field. All we can answer is there were about – I think it was nine linebacker snaps that were not taken by Blaze Aldridge or uh, Devin Nicholson, and those were all taken by Chad Bailey. They have about 2.2 linebackers they feel comfortable with, I think. Yeah, yeah, and maybe one of the two true freshmen will get there, but, you know, obviously just getting the campus, not there quite yet. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you specifics as to what's going on with Jamie Petway, where or if he struggled, but, I mean, clearly he's, uh, you know, he, he's not getting on the field at a position where there is opportunity. Yeah, kind of along the same lines, Peter Kahn is asking if Sean Robinson maybe gets a, a look as a little bit more in-the-box safety. I mean, that's he, – he did that late. That looked to – there were a lot of times Martez Manuel was still doing that. I thought on Saturday where he was he was creeping up a little closer to the line of scrimmage than than maybe a lot of a lot of a traditional safety would. 
Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting how they used Sean Robinson. I kind of tried to ask Steve Wilkes about this yesterday. Just it, it maybe wasn't the best phrase question. He just kind of talked about how Sean Robinson is a good player. But uh, I was trying to get at like what situations can you can can he help you in? How does that give you flexibility? I, I from what I you know looked like to me they were putting him at that nickel spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to maybe go with some heavier personnel in situations where they thought it might be a run or uh, you know maybe if he's covering a tight end or something instead of a a, a third receiver. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm never going to say never with Sean Robinson because I honestly didn't expect him to play very much on defense this season. And he is. But I would be surprised if he gets like switched to linebacker full time. I think they like him in the role that they have him. Um, and, you know, they, I, I still don't think he's quite big enough to play like, you know, yeah. every down linebacker or anything like that. Well, and I think it, we're. You know, we have the last few years Kentucky in our mind and think that this is a team that you are going to load the box uh, against and put seven or eight guys and force them to throw the ball. And I think the game changer and the difference in this, yes, it's partly Will Levis. I think he's a better passer than they've had. But more than that, I think it's Wondell Robinson, the transfer from Nebraska. I mean, Drinkwood said yesterday he can kind of take the the top off your defense almost at any time. And I don't know if Missouri fans really remember coming out of high school two years ago because Missouri wasn't involved, but I mean, this kid was a big-time recruit, and Kentucky was devastated when he went to Nebraska, and now he has transferred back to Kentucky, and this is, um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the kid's name, uh, uh, Bowden, uh, Bowden, Lynn Bowden. Lynn, 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 Lynn Bowden, Bowden, yeah. Lynn from Bowden. a couple years ago. Wandale Robinson is that type of athlete at wide receiver. And I think even more than the quarterback, I think he's the guy that makes you go, well, we can't just put eight guys in the box and we can't creep Manuel up to the line of scrimmage because they've got that guy. And I don't know if we can cover that guy one-on-one very often. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. And we haven't given, given him his doing this. Or Josh Ali as well as a solid wide receiver, but yeah, that's what they did last week. I mean, it was just, you know, r- run the ball and then go play action deep to one of those two guys. I mean, the half of the pass attempts went to either Robinson or Ali. And I, I, I don't know exactly their average, but they both averaged over 20 yards a catch. And uh, I looked up at one point their average depth of target and it was both, I think around the 15 yard mark. Like it was, it was all downfield shots. And so, yeah, um, they're both speedy guys, especially Robinson. Um, and, and you know, Missouri secondary was solid last week. But, yeah, I, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable just having both corners on an island with no over-the-top help. Over the top help. Uh, by the way, yeah. the, the parallels between Mookie Cooper and Wandale Robinson are kind of crazy. And I, oh, I don't really? want to, like, rub salt in the fact that Mookie Cooper hasn't quite, you know, produced in a Missouri uniform yet. Like we said, there's reason to believe he can be patient, but both were, I think right around the number 60 overall player in the country listed as an athlete, uh, you know, spurned the, the home, state, home state school to go play in the big 10 transfer back. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of similar there. Yeah. It transferred back for different reasons. I've got to imagine right. Wandale Robinson could be helping Nebraska this year. Um, also, I wish we had a producer for this show because I would make him just clip off that part where you said you were 100% right and I would just play that over and over, but we don't, so missed opportunity. Uh, we're going to finish up here with uh, True Divinity. I know basketball recruiting isn't that popular these days, but our number one target is announcing next week. Any idea where Mizzou stands? He's talking about Aiden Shaw. I mean, I think our impression is Missouri's in the top three and in pretty good shape, but not to the point where we're ready to quite say, hey, this is what we think he's doing, right? Yeah, at no point have I, you know, gotten like any indication of like, oh yeah, it's a done deal. It's Mizzou or it's a done deal. It's anyone else. Um, I think it's 
cautious optimism. I'll say that. And, uh, Sorry, it's getting late in the day. Um, they, they had a visitor last weekend as well who has a few more visits scheduled, kind of plays a similar position to to Aiden Shaw. Your impression was that, hey, they, they'd probably be willing to take both, but he's going to visit Ole Miss and Texas Tech, and I think it's Robert Jennings was the kid's name. Yeah, that, yeah so Robert Jennings was the recruit last weekend. He, he's a little different. He's a little bit more of an interior player than Aiden Shaw. I don't think he really has the, like, step out and shoot a three-point jumper part of his game. Um, I think that the coaching staff would be fine with a two-man class and, and probably more of what they were originally targeting was a two-man class with two one man guard, high school one class, kind of yeah. wing. And they already have Christian Jones committed. But I do think that if Robert Jennings were to pull the trigger, and I expect him to take his other visits. I mean, he announced he was going to. Um, I believe it's SMU, Texas Tech, and Ole Miss are his other school, three schools he's visiting. If he were, for some reason, though, to say, yeah, I want to commit, and then Aiden Shaw was to say, yeah, I want to commit, they would take both. Yeah. And uh, same goes with Mark Mitchell, even though I think that's right. you know a long shot at this point. I think those are the only three guys really that are left on the board that they're interested in. And it is funny how much this goes in cycles. And this is part of you know covering a school that you can't just immediately identify basketball school or football school. A lot of places you can, but here it, it kind of depends. And I remember us talking, you know, shortly after you started with us in like 2017 and 18 and like, yo, we're in the middle of the football season and like one of the biggest games of the year is coming up and all we got is 1,200 threads on basketball recruiting. And now like we're going to be in the middle of the basketball season and all we're going to have is 1,200 threads on football recruiting. So it's just it's interesting how it kind of flips depending on what's going on at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um. All right. I don't know. Anything else you want to? Want to talk about? I feel, uh, I feel like that was a that was a pretty yeah. solid show. We got pretty deep into Kentucky. You yeah. will do more of that tomorrow. Um, I will. We will talk yes. to some offensive players this afternoon and have any worthwhile updates on the site and in story form tomorrow. So any? Uh, that's all I got. Any thoughts where I can get the best kielbasa? Uh, still looking into that. Maybe for a field. I hear they serve that, but don't. If you're looking for bratwurst, you will go home disappointed. <laughs> there you go. So uh, you look <laughs> culinary breakdowns, everything that you could possibly want here on the five seven three report. Brought to you every single Wednesday by five seven three T's. Appreciate you guys who are joining us live as we just kind of move around uh, based on our schedules day by day. Um, but but hope this worked out. Uh, some people on lunch hour that have grown up jobs had a chance to join us and the replay and podcast and all that will be available, which probably doesn't do you any good if you're on here listening to me now, because you probably already know that, but, uh, brought to you by five, seven, three T's check them out. Five, seven, three T E E S.com. We'll post this on the site. And if you go through that page on the site, you ought to be able to click and get a discount from the guys over there on the website. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys. And we will talk to you later.